Today, I, as I thought what I would bring to you, of, of, well, many of you might know that I'm also being assessed as a candidate for the pastoral position here, and so my preaching falls in line with that. But that's secondary, like I said last night. The first thing is God needs to be honored. God needs to get the glory. And I have prayed and deliberated about what I should share with you, and I'm praying that God will bring a word that will bless somebody. I always believe that there is something supernatural in the word of God, and that within itself it's enough to accomplish what God wishes. Amen? And if I have a praying church behind me, there is much that can be done. Today I want to share with you on the, my topic, pleasing God is more than doing the right thing. Pleasing God is more than doing the right thing. Brothers and sisters, often, or many times, how often do we think that when it comes to the matter of serving God, it's simply a matter of doing the right thing. I've heard it expressed many times in many different ways. And often people get disappointed simply because they think they can't do anything right. They can't do the right thing. And therefore their inability to do the right thing means they are unable to please God. So the question is, how many times do we wish, oh, if only I could do the right thing? But is this really so? Is serving or pleasing God merely about doing the right thing? And today I want to look with us in scriptures for the answer to this question. We want to know how does it answer the, 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 the question and what answer is provided in scriptures to this question. How do I please God? Or is pleasing God a matter of me doing the right thing? And for scriptures, I want to read 1 Chronicles chapter 13, if you have your Bibles here today. Just turn with me briefly to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And I read from, ver from the f first to the fourth verse. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with, it, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, It seemed good unto you, if it seemed good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our Lord to us, for we inquired not of it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And I want you to note that verse. The thing was right in the eyes of all the people. As we consider this text for context, in 1 Chronicles 10, 
we see Saul, the first human king of Israel, he died. It's reported in that text how he died. And the Chronicle says that it was because he was unfaithful to God as a result of his disobedience. And not only that, because he chose to consult a medium instead of God when he got in trouble. And in chapter 11, we see David is anointed king in Hebron in chapter 11 and verse 3. And he marches on and conquers Jerusalem. And it became known as the city of David because it became his capital. There he took it from the Jebusites who inhabited the city at the time in chapter 11 and verse 4 of First Chronicles. And David promised that whoever led the attack on the Jebusites would become his general, his commander-in-chief. And Job led it, so he was appointed general. So many times we read about Job in the, in the scriptures, we understand how he became general of David's army. Now notice Jerusalem, the city of Salem, Salem, Salam, peace. The city of peace, the city of David. It becomes the capital of Israel. And we have an account of mighty warriors, significant commanders, many formerly of Saul's army who now joins David, David's army. So his army expanded with renowned, reputable, and capable warriors in chapter, in chapter 12. We are told that. So as we come to chapter 13, we see David having a conference. He has in, he's having a conference with his military leaders, his commanders, his officers. And somehow a brilliant idea comes up. Maybe it was David's idea. Maybe it was one of the commanders. We, we're not told. And he shares this idea with Israel. And what is this idea? In chapter 13 and verse 9, we see it. It is to bring back the ark of God to Israel from Jerem. That's a, 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 a little town in Judah. And notice in modern day parlance, we would say, David took a vote on the motion to move the ark to Jerusalem, and the vote passed unanimously. And verse 4 says, the whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Do you notice anything amiss about David's decision process here? Yes, it was truly democratic, it appears. But what was the key missing element here is that nowhere did it mention that he consulted God. He was about to do something for God, and nothing is wrong with that. Actually, wanting to do something for God is the right thing to do, or the right thing to want to do. Or do you, uh, 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 you know, I'm sure we would all agree with that. But even as he would do so for God, he did not see it important to consult with God concerning the right thing that he wished to do. And rather, as a political leader, it seems that his obsession may have been about winning the approval of his people. 
As leaders, we always have to be careful we do not put the desires, wishes, and opinions of the people before God. That's a serious responsibility of leadership. We may have the majority vote, but what if God is the only one who votes against the decision? What then? Do we have a goal because the majority says so? Or will it be the voice of God that matters? What if God says go when the majority says no? Based on the decision David made with the consent of the people, David and all the people decided to move the ark from kirath in Judah to bring it to Jerusalem. You see, folks, the first thing then that we see is that David decided to do a right thing, maybe for a political purpose. But then we realize that pleasing God is not simply a matter of giving our best effort. And why do I say that? I'll tell you now. Pleasing the crowd is not the same as pleasing God. Seemed to me like David became confident. He has the full support, 100% unanimous decision from the people. And so somehow he, he felt within himself that this, this is it. This is the thing to do. But pleasing the crowd is not the same as pleasing God. How often do we as leaders get that, think that way? And because of that, we get it wrong. There's an irony, almost like the chronicler hints at some dramatic humor when he says in chapter 13 and, ver- and, and the second part of verse 6, and I want you to follow me, to bring up, from there the ark of David, I'm quoting him here now, to bring up from there the ark of David, the Lord who is enthroned, to bring up from there the ark of God, sorry, the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. And I'll read it again because I made an error reading it the first time. I want you to get it. To bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. And as I read that, I I, I see a contrast. I see the chronicler there contrasting that transcendent view of God. God who is the most holy, God who is the most high with the handling of the cart as it's being moved. Look at the most high, look at the most holy, and this is what is supposed to represent the presence. The ark represents the presence of that most high, that most holy. Look at how it's being handled. First, it's being moved on a new cart, being guided by user and his brother, Ohio. 
And I read a bit more back in the, in, in the scriptures here, and I realized this idea of putting it on a cart, you know where it came from? It came from the Philistines. When they moved the ark into their land, and God started to bring judgment upon the people, and they wished to return the ark of God, they consulted their priests and their diviners, and this is what their priests and diviners told them to do. So this idea was not coming from God or from, 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 from the way the ark was customarily handled by the people of God. It was coming from the heathens. Go back and read it carefully. The idea of carting in the ark on a cart was an ethnic idea. That's where it found its origin. David and all the Israelites, they were delirious with joy. I want you to see as they were moving the ark. It was a time of worship. And their worship flowed from their personal joy. The nostalgia that they were overcoming. The ark is coming back to us. David and all the Israelites, they were delirious with joy, celebrating a good event. Indeed, indeed, there was no doubt that there was general consent that they were doing the right thing. They were worshipping with everything they had. We are told in verse 8, David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, and trumpets. Can you imagine the praise service this was? What a praise and worship. Everybody putting in all they can. You know, they weren't just standing in apathy, uh, you know. But everybody, there was a sense of enthusiasm and ecstasy, I imagine. Thrilled about the whole thing. And and, and this would would have typified the worship that was taking place there. They were giving it all they had. But was God in agreement with this? Was this really bringing glory to his name? God is always about that which brings glory to his name, brothers and sisters. It's always about his glory. So I invite you to let us read on and see what's happening here. We say pleasing God is not not simply a matter of giving our best efforts... Pleasing God means then conforming to God's order. I would dare say that. Pleasing God then means that we have to conform to his order. Here we come to one of the saddest verses in the Bible. The oxygen, sorry, the oxen, the cows, the male cows, the oxen are carrying the ark and they stumble. And, and user, seemingly with all the best intentions in the world, attempting to do what's right, he reaches out instinctively. The ark is, the, the, you know, the, these strong bulls are carrying the ark and they stumble. 
and the ark is about to fall. I imagine it rocks, and it's about to fall, and he just instinctively reaches out to catch, to prevent it from falling. And right there, God's transcendency comes into play like lightning strike. For immediately as he did that and he touched the ark, he was struck dead for his irreverent act. Oh, how sad the phrase and the fate, so he died there before God. Indeed, the writer of Hebrews said it correctly in Hebrews 12, 28 to 29. Therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be filled with gratitude and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. How often do we forget that? That the God who we serve, who loves us so much, when he is angry, is a consuming fire. Today our churches don't preach it, our preachers don't, don't believe it, and so they don't pass it on to their congregants to remind them that this same God of love is a consuming fire. Is not to be toyed with. Folks, we see here that pleasing God requires more than good intentions. And we can do nothing for God. God holds us no favors. He is sovereign. He is transcendent. And he is supreme. He is the awesome Ruler. And to please God then means doing the right thing the way God ordains it to be done. You have any doubt about it? You're not sure about it? Consult him on the matter. David demonstrates two typical human emotion in reacting to this incident. He is angry, but anger means nothing when you're dealing with God. And he was afraid of God. Secondly, he became, he became afraid of God. He feared God. Now, God acts, but God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. David became afraid of God. He feared God. And I want you to recall... Ananias and Sapphira, because some of us sit here and say that was Old Testament. But you come over in the New Testament and you go look at that New Testament church and see how God dealt with with Ananias Ananas and Sapphira. Not Ananias. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias, sorry, and Sapphira. I tend to run into, run into this thing. We sell plants and one of them is Ananias. What is Ananias and Sapphira? So, you know, David was afraid of God. And as you come into the New Testament, you see God doing that in the early church as well. With Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 and verse 11, we are told, Great fear seized the whole church. 
and all who heard about these events. God will do whatever it takes to ensure that his name is reverent. What I find arising out of, the, out of this incident is that pleasing God sometimes may mean changing our plans. Pleasing God may mean changing our plans. What did David do? David had to change his plans midway its implementation. At least he had the wisdom to do that. How often do we persist with our plans even after we discover that God was never part of it? God calls us to abandon that plan and seek his counsel. Note he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, we are told. He had to take the ark there. He took the ark to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe Obed-Edom was probably one of those people who were not too bright. Because when I look in the scriptures, I realize that everybody who was aware of what was happening with the ark and people dying around it never wanted it in their vicinity. They were like, give it to him, give it to him. But this guy was like, oh, you can give it to me. I'm like, okay, here goes. But look at what happened with Obed-Edom. You see, this was never the plan. This was a result of circumstances forced upon David. Probably nobody else wanted the ark in their vicinity. And so David gave it to this family, Obed-Edom and his family. In verse 14. But what, what I find interesting was all the blessing that he received. That's Obed-Edom. Sometimes, folks, you don't have to be too bright for God to bless you. You just have to be willing and obedient to do his will. Amen? Yes, sometimes you, 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 you don't have to be too, too clever. and too, You don't have to be the wisest. You don't have to be the, you just have to be the most obedient. That's the one who, who, who just accept God's will and just do his will. And just do it humbly and obediently. And, 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 and many times people are wondering, you know, what's going on? You know, I, 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 I am doing, I'm doing all my best and I'm working so hard and nothing's happening. And look at him, he's doing nothing. But God's blessing just seemed to be flowing. And his approval on your life just seemed to... Let me run on. Um, you see, this was the same ark that brought curse on the Philistines and their god Dagon. And for which cause user died at the hand of the Lord. Here now this man and his household is prospering from the ark of, of the Lord. The symbol of the presence of God among them. But... In the process, I think David learned a valuable lesson here. For in chapter 14, when the Philistine foes from long ago heard that he was made king in Israel, they decided to attack Israel. But here David in inquired of the Lord. Note that now. He asked God, should I go up and fight them? Now normally your enemies are coming against you. I don't think you would want to think that this is something I should ask God if I should defend myself. But David consulted with God. Should I go up and fight them? In verse 10. 
And again on another occasion, attacked by the same adversary in verse 14, we see that David has learned to make God his chief counselor and primary consultant. He learns to make God his chief counselor and primary consultant. He had, remember, he had captains of renown. They knew how to fight. They fought and they were victorious. But David learned from this experience with the ark. That never assume that God is on board because you have capable leaders. And you have their advice. It's good to have them. It's good to have their advice. But God is the most capable. And his advice is the one that matters most. So you learn to make God his chief counselor and primary consultant. If God say go, no matter what the other people are saying, my brother, it's go. And it's just a matter of who will come with me. Pleasing God means discovering God's order in God's words. So not only are we about discovering God's order, but what does God's word say should be the order. Note David's new attitude. The second time he attempts to take the ark to Jerusalem, and that's chapter 15. So you can look at, go to chapter 15. You can look at chapter 15 now. There's a second attempt. The first attempt failed because he tried to do it his way. The second attempt, then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God in verse 2. David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because God chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. Do you see the difference there now? He got God's order. He understood how God wanted it done now. And how did, it, how did he learn this? How did he know it? Note he is careful to remind the priests to consecrate themselves. We didn't see that the first time either in verse 11b. So he tells them to consecrate themselves as they prepare to bring up the ark of the Lord. He realized the error he made the first time in not allowing the Levites to carry the ark. In verse 13, it is stated there. He also said, we did not inquire of him how to do it in the prescribed way. We see there David admitting to it. We did not inquire of God, him, God, how to do it in a prescribed way. He obviously sought out the way God stated, God stated the ark should be carried. For now we see that his design for carrying the ark is in compliance with the order stipulated by God to Moses centuries earlier. And now in verse 15. We see the problem about the first effort at doing a right thing the wrong way. We see it in verse 15. And we realize this is not God's way. As it does not bring glory to him. When we try to do it our own way. And so we read in verse 15. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders. 
as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of God. I underline that. In accordance with the word of God. My brothers and sisters, when you are, I, I want to say, a leader in the church, but not just in the church, but in your personal life, in everything that, if you're a believer, and if your life is committed to Christ, if you are, are saying, it is not I that live, but the Christ that liveth in me, then you can't make one move without consulting God. How do you dare make major decisions for your life without knowing what is God's will and God's intent? And it is really appropriate that I say this at this point because, you know, you're in the process of selecting a, 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 a pastor, a minister. It is, it is a serious decision. And the first person, the first one that should be consulted is God. And maybe after you consult God, God said, not Brother Largy. But whoever God says, that's who you're looking for. Amen? Yeah, you can say Amen. I won't feel bad. <laughs> I might not like it, but if God says it, my brother has to conform to it. Amen? So we praise his name. Yes, so, so we see that David, he obviously sought out the way God stated the ark should be carried. As we see him now complying with it. And so in verse 15, we see that he was now doing it as Moses had commanded, in accordance with the word of God. You see, finally, we can now say it's, the, it's only the right thing. Listen to this. It's only the right thing if it complies with God's words. Are you with me? It's only the right thing. If it complies with God's word. So, so next time you think about the right thing, ask, does it? Is this what God says I should do in his words? Amen? He also had the Levites appoint the singers with the priests blowing the trumpets before the ark. So before he just had some musicians. I, I am careful to remember that David himself was a musician. And you know the thing with musicians when they start to select musicians? They're looking for competent musicians like themselves, right? Or more competent than themselves, right? But David realized now that it's not about the skill of music. and It, it is about who has God. Ordained to carry to function in these offices, and maybe they might not be the best, but they are the ones who God has ordained, and so therefore they are the ones who should be there leading it. Yes, I know I'm getting into stuff there. It's okay. So David was not now only concerned about worship. But he was ensuring that the worship complies with God's standard or order as commanded is in his word. Well, you know, when, my brothers and sisters, as I went through this and as God revealed these things, he, he just, you know, brought these scriptures out to me. I realized the implication for our time. When, when, when we are just settling for the fact that, that, you know, we're doing the right thing, so God must be pleased with us. 
It doesn't matter how we do it how, and, and, and who we select to do what. God, God must be pleased because it's the right thing. We're doing God such a big favor. And we need to step back and think again. And I say step back because you're treading on holy ground. And we see what happened with, with, with user as he's tread on, on, on holy ground. It's dangerous. And so we want to step back and consult God. Yes, it might be God's will for you to be there. It may not be his will. You find somewhere else where, where is will, where it is his will. And carry that out. But today, you know, we are just pushing, pushing, forcing into it. And, and, and we're figuring, because we think it's right. And because, you know, I, I, I'm doing this thing to the Lord. So therefore, it must be right. Must be acceptable to God. God must accept it. No. No, we, we, we still need to come rev reverently before him. We still need to come with reverence. He is still the supreme, sovereign king. He's royalty. And let's confess, we are ourselves are not too acquainted with dealing with royalty. So we, there's much for us to learn. Okay, I assume that. But not everyone will be pleased when you please God. Not everyone will be pleased. I want you to notice that. As David was doing this and praising, you know, because of now he pleases God, then he finds joy. And I want you to notice there is, there is real joy to be found in pleasing God. So he finds joy in doing this, and he found such joy that he laid aside his royal robe, realized that there's one more royal than himself, and he started to just dance before his God and have such a fantastic time that his wife, looking through the window, the Bible said she detested, she despised him in her heart, her husband. His wife, Michael, looking through the window, see him dancing, think that he is lowering himself before the people. Think that, you know, he's, and because of that, she just detested him, the Bible said. In verse 29, sometimes when you please God, be prepared for some hard hit back from others. It doesn't mean God's not pleased with you. It just means they're not pleased with you, wherever that person is. But remember I said pleasing God should be first and foremost what matters with it for you. And if you please God, take joy in it. Hello? No matter who else start hit back at you, take joy in it. Father, I'm happy you're pleased. Thank you for allowing me to please you. I'm concluding now. God has his way of doing things. And his ways are outlined in his words. Not only so, but we can go to him directly in prayer to determine his will and his way. You see, believers, because of the characteristics of God, 
He's the eternal creator. He's sovereign Lord and King, supreme ruler. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, royal king. So he will not accept anything from anyone, nor will he be serving just about any way we please. No. He has ordained a way that pleases him, a way that delights him. He owes us nothing. In Psalm 50 and verse 11, he says, I know the, every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. Listen to that carefully. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with adulterers. These things you have done and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. God is not like us. doesn't judge the way we judge. He doesn't determine things the way we do. God is not like, like we are. So don't presume to think for him. Don't presume to make decisions for him. Don't presume that because you think it's right, God agrees. I want you to recall Proverbs 14 and verse 12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And Isaiah 55 and verse 7 says, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, said the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's why I encourage you today to seek his way. Brothers and sisters, we can depend merely on our own sense of right and wrong. We, sorry, we can't depend merely on our own sense of right and wrong in pleasing God. We cannot depend on it. Pleasing God is not simply about doing the right thing. It goes beyond that. And doing the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. Why? Because God has a different way of doing things. His way is higher and greater. His thoughts are unfathomable. It's not within our ability to figure out. Hence, he must be consulted both by study of his words and in prayer. And we do it to discover and to be guided by his words and his spirit. To seek his direction 
as we seek to please him in a, is our primary task. For God, doing the right thing is never enough. We must do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons with the right intentions. God alone determines what is right. I want to share this with you. A brilliant young concert pianist was performing for the first time in public. And as he played beautifully, moving his fingers on those keys, the audience sat enthralled, fascinated by the music that flowed from his disciplined fingers. And the people could hardly take their eyes off this young expert piano player. But as a final note faded, the audience, they burst into applause. Everyone was standing, except for one old man up the front. And this expert pianist, he walked off the stage, he was down, down, downcast. And the state the state, stage manager, he praised the performance. But the young man said, I was no good. It was a failure. And the manager replied, look out there. Everyone is on their feet except one old man. Yes, said the youth dejectedly. But that one old man is my teacher. Do we have the same desire for God's approval as that pianist? had for his teacher's praise? Do we make our Lord's approving smile all that really matters? Doesn't matter how the crowd cheer, if God is not cheering us, we shouldn't be elated. Doing the right thing and pleasing God, the two are not the same. For the latter requires total surrender to God's will and purpose. So joining with David in recognition of the sovereignty of God in a true sense of all its meaning and implications. In 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 31, he says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let men say among the nations, the Lord reigns. To do things God's way in God's time for God's glory must be our purpose and motto question I leave you with today is who will accept this challenge today to not only do the right thing but to please God. Have a good day folks.